it really is. He really is at the heart, the gravity, the circumference of, of all we're about. That he is the revelation of God in our lives. And at the heart of it is this confession that every tongue should confess or acknowledge, as, as this version says, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's in Paul's letter to Rome, he says that we confess with our lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. That that, through that, he says, it's a, 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 an evidence, a sign, one of the core things of being saved. It is all about Jesus. The uniqueness and supremacy and centrality of Jesus. And you're going, well, yes, thanks. Christianity 101. Thanks for that reminder, Edward. But it's really important that we have that foundation and that basis established that we have together confessed Jesus Christ as Lord this morning. I hope you have and been able to do that. I'm moving about. That's really perplexing the camera person, isn't it? I'm sorry, Greg. Kind of. <laughs> It's the nature of being live again, isn't it? In front of, Pete, Pete has as still as a, still as a statues, apart from you know, so we don't lose focus. But Greg is having to work hard for that. But the passage I really want to focus is the next thing. But I wanted to have this ringing in our mouths, in our ears, and our hearts, because this is where the rubber hits the road. So I'm going to read from chapter two, and uh, verses twelve through to eighteen, and it goes like this. It starts with therefore. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. So that you may be blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. This is where the rubber hits the road. We can all sing wonderful songs of praise and Jesus is at the center. It's all about Jesus. And then comes this conjunction, this linking word, therefore. And before we get on to the bits about grumbling and complaining and being pure and blameless, and we will get there, don't you fear. <laughs> There's just some things that I want to say along the way. Therefore, says Paul, my dear friends, or in the ESV, a really good translation that gives a, you know, helps us understand the Greek there. He says, therefore, beloved Dear friends, beloved, in view of the majesty of Jesus and what he's accomplished and that in, in making himself nothing, of emptying himself, of taking the form of the serpent, of being crucified, God raised him to the highest place and seated him at the right hand of God, reigning a majestic and every name everywhere. 
all things will confess him as Lord. Therefore, beloved, dear friends, it's really worth emphasizing that as he comes on to the nitty-gritty where the, the nub of that profession of faith begins to be marked out in who we are and what we're like, remember, he says, we are loved by God. Beloved. Dear friends, but more than that, in addition to that, loved by Paul, the founder and the friend and the apostle of the church in Philippi. You are loved, says Paul. You are so, so precious. He says, I love you. As I'm uh, uh, speaking to you, I want you to be reminded, sisters and brothers in Philippi, and indeed this morning as we're gathered online and, and live here, you are loved by God and, of course, by Philip and I and the leadership team. We so love you, sisters and brothers, beloved in the Lord. You are our family in Christ. And for those of us, we've been so excited to see people coming down this high street and coming through these doors. It's such a reunion because you're so, so missed. Because we love you. That as we pray for you uh, as, as your pastors over and through the weeks, we're rooting for you. We genuinely are that you would walk with Jesus and witness to your faith in him and live this confession out that we pray for you. That your love, therefore your love because of Jesus, front and center, but your love by and part of this family we're called to be together in. Let's really recognize that. If there's ever a shadow of a doubt that comes into your mind or your heart, do I matter, really? Would anyone notice if I wasn't there? Absolutely, you'd be missed. Therefore, my dear beloved, dear friends, writes Paul. It's worth noting this, this word, therefore, is not only in this section, verse 12, but is, as we've read, has cropped up right there in verse 9. Same word, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. And then just a couple of verses later, therefore, my dear beloved friends, when Jesus humbled himself and made himself uh, nothing, taking the form of, of the uh, servant being humbled and crucified even to death on a cross, therefore God raised him to a highest place. Now to us, beloved of the Lord and, and saints in the church, we hear the same word and the logic of Paul's argument is this, that as the Father saw the faithfulness of Jesus and his willing obedience... God the Father assessed and reacted to Jesus' fully submitted life and raised him up. And now as he addresses the sisters and brothers in how we work out this confession, he calls us to ponder and also to act on our obedient and worthy response in light of the centrality of Jesus. It's about our worship of him. Now, you may think at this point, the bar is so high. You know, he said right at the beginning of that passage, you know, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. Wow, that's a big ask, isn't it? 
Maybe it's a Sunday, it's a holy day, and you've done really well thus far. Or maybe not. And you think, ah, guilt's coming. Have Jesus at the center. Gaze upon him. Learn from him. Because he inspires our way. I remember back, it's some time ago, but I know many of our students are preparing for their A-levels and GCSEs and mocks and, and however the teacher assessments are working this year. And, and many of them have been given, and perhaps we were when we were studying for exams, we were given model answers about how to write an essay or how to complete uh, the, the, the test that we would be given as an example to show us the way. Does that, do you remember that? Or is it, uh, yeah, just about. When I was um, doing uh, piano exams, um, that's a little bit, and I, I got up to grade six, Woo! and uh, the associated board would um, very kindly get some excellent pianist, and the pianist would record every track that you could possibly do in the exam. I think there's six pieces per section, and they would send you this CD. And I remember getting the CD with the with with the grade, and you know, all the working from grade one up to um, whenever got to grade eight. But they would play it, and it would be at the right tempo, and it would have all the expression and the ex uh, the the augmentation in it, and it would have the right rhythm. And I would be like, "Wow, this is an amazing piece! I could follow it with the notes." And then I would sit down and try it, and you'd be forgiven of thinking it bore no resemblance at all to how it should be. There was part of me that thought, oh my gosh, that's such a high goal to attain. Our sister um, uh, Pearl is an examiner. She must sit through hours of these things and know the beauty of the piece and wonder, hmm, what mark shall I give that <laughs> as it's performed? We may consider Jesus and think we fall so far short. Yet nevertheless, actually, that recording inspired and caused me when I got out of my kind of woe is me, I'm not very good at this, to think, I want to attain to that. It's the same keyboard as they're playing. If I work at this, I can improve. I'm not going to settle for second best or mediocrity or just get stuck and static and stop. And my teacher would encourage me and say, here's how to do that difficult bit. Here's what you need to work on. Here's how to practice this one step at a time. But keep focus. Don't give up on the goal. If you're old enough to remember on Saturday nights, there was a program called The Generation Game. Does that ring any bells? We used to sit down as a family when there were only three TV stations and uh, on Saturday night with our Saturday tea and the generation game would come on. And if I want, need to refresh your mind, that is essentially the host would have a bunch of contestants and they would be like mother and son or grandparent and daughter generation. And they would have this competition where people uh, are not the end thing where they have to remember all the cuddly toys and all that that comes on the conveyor belt. But in the game to win points, you had to watch someone do this perfect flamenco dance or, or ice this beautiful cake with all sorts of fancy decorations. And then they would say, it's over to you. And the music would start and, and people would give it a go. And it sometimes went terribly, terribly wrong. But they were called to give it a go. They were observing how to do it. They weren't sitting in their seats and saying, oh, that's nice for them. But come on, give it a try. And of course it's not perfected. 
in that. And the worse it got, the better entertainment it made for the TV. But that's not the goal of Jesus, to just be entertained by (laughs) getting it stuffed up all the time. It is actually to have the same mindset, to follow his example, to become like him. This message, please hear this, is not just, come on, saints, try harder. Pull your finger out, pull your socks up, redouble your efforts. It's not what I'm saying. But equally, I'm also not saying it doesn't matter, just chillax. You see, as Paul writes to the church, he's saying to them that right relationships in the church matter. Right behavior matters. He's, he started the chapter, he says, if any comfort from, uh, uh, from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion of how we interact with one another, how we behave, how we respect and honor, how we cherish one another, how we build one another up, or sadly, maybe at times tear each other down, matters. Right relationships matter. But the reason I wanted to to use this Christ hymn to remind us of it is that Jesus now is our life. As believers, we are born again. We are children of God. He is our guide. How we are doing, he is the yardstick, but he's also the great encourager and the teacher. And still he calls us on, sister, brother, beloved, walk with me, follow me. I don't know if you've come across the, the, the wonderful series called The Chosen. Many have, and it's, it's great. It's, uh, there's an app called The Chosen. You can watch this sort of serialization of, of the life of Jesus. Some of it is uh, creative in many ways and extra biblical in a sense of their, their kind of creating plot and, and, uh, and tension. But there's also some very, very wonderful insights in it. And one of the things I was just watching in the latest series, in series two, is how Jesus just gathered this group of people around him, men and women, who were all kind of with all sorts of attitudes and agendas and backgrounds and hang-ups and priorities, and there was clashing going on. But Jesus, at the heart of that gathering, that group of the disciples, they learned, they saw how Jesus responded, and it was different to how they'd learned, and it was better. And they saw how Jesus esteemed and raised people up rather than thinking, I need to push people down in order to look better. And they open their eyes and think there's a different way. When Jesus is at the center, life in its fullness permeates and flows. And so we see this this glimpse of, of the great godly goal, the wholesome glow of relationships in the likeness of Christ that we seek to reach. Paul is saying, this is what is true. We confess Jesus Christ as Lord. He is exalted at the Father's right hand. And this is how we respond to that truth. We're not spectators in the stadium watching this just happen and go away unmoved. We're in his family. The Christ-likeness, Paul is urging them, is one of the Christians' greatest concerns of who we are. So in verse 12 to uh, 18, you probably heard it. 
he then says, therefore, dear friends, beloved, as you've always obeyed, in verse 12, he calls us to work. In verse 14, to do. In 15, to be blameless. And 16, he says, hold fast. In other words, these are verbs of action. They are doing. They are engaged. They are challenges to us to obey, to work at this, to do it, to be blameless, to hold fast. But coupled with that, lest you think this is now a just try harder, do more, come on, pull your socks up type message, there are incentives. In verse 13, God is at work in you, that you are children of God. That you'll be like light shining in this dark world. You see, the Christian life, the Christian work is this blend of faith that where we rest in Jesus and we recognize that we, it's not just a, a, a let's just try hard and redouble our efforts. Um, that we rest confidently in what God is doing. He is working within us. His Holy Spirit is within us. And we pray, come Holy Spirit, fill me afresh. We need you. On my own, I can't achieve this. Absolutely. But isn't that, that isn't just the end of the story. We actively have to pursue, to follow, to engage with him. He says it here, work out your salvation with fear and, and trembling. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that we are to be anxious about whether we're saved or not, to think, oh, it's a bit in the balance. Mm, what's going to happen? Must try harder and demonstrate to God I'm worthy. No. To the letter, to the sisters and brothers, the beloved in Ephesus, he'd say this in chapter 2, for it's by grace you've been saved through faith, and this isn't from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Absolutely, we are saved by grace through faith. But what does it mean to work out our salvation with fear and trembling? Well, this is one of the things where it's really important to grasp, to recognize that every one of us, male or female, younger or older, Every one of us has to care for ourselves, for oneself. Maybe this is a, a reminder that we're each called to shoulder our own responsibility. In other words, the care of one's own soul is your responsibility. There are people like Phil and I and the leadership team and house groups and, and people that pray with us who can help and be with us alongside. But ultimately, the responsibility of you rests with you. Are you going to walk with Jesus? I hope so. I'll urge you on and encourage you and plead with you. But it's your choice. Will you grow in Jesus? Sister and brother, come on, we're rooting for you. Your choice. Think about it from this other's perspective. Can someone make you a believer? It's not, um, you know, think about it. Can I say, right, you are now a believer because I've told you so. Or I want it to be so. No. 
It has to be that personal choice from within. My own deep-seated conviction, faith point. I believe that Jesus died for me. He was my substitute on the cross, and he rose again. The tomb was empty. Absolutely. That is a personal decision. As uh, John's gospel says, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Fantastic. Children born not of natural descent. You don't get in there because you've been born in the right family. Nor of human decision or a husband's will. Come on, wife, you're a believer because I've told it to be so. (laughs) Or to the children. But born of God. When it comes to how do we enter into the kingdom, we absolutely know that it's a personal choice. It's our own volitional decision. That thing that happens between the God's spirit and our spirit when we come to repent and believe. We have agency in entering the kingdom and that agency, that responsibility for our growth and walk with Jesus ultimately rests with you. We can't blame somebody else ultimately. We can't say, oh, they treated me badly, therefore I'm giving up on Jesus. Well, maybe they did treat you badly and not going to sanction any of that. But whether you give up on Jesus or not is your choice. Whether you say, okay, I've been, I've been mishandled here or I've been hurt or it's, it's been difficult uh, and I want to withdraw. Or will I actually stick with Jesus and have him at the center of my life and the core of my conviction? It's your responsibility. Ultimately, you have agency for yourself. Are you growing in Jesus? And we pray and urge and desire that to be true. But if not, why not? Is there someone that you're going to blame? Maybe there's a contributory factor, but ultimately... You're not growing in Jesus because you're not growing in Jesus. Your choice. You're not seeking help to resolve something or to address the doubt or to change the pattern of behavior. Or, you know, it, it, but ultimately, it's, it's you. That's not absolving us of, of belonging together, as I said, encouraging. Paul is writing and pleading with them and urging them, beloved. It's we each bear personal responsibility to grow spiritually, to lay hold of the grace that God has given for you. Of course, as, as we raise children and, and those who are growing, and, you know, from a, though we teach them language and we, we want to inspire the children. And, and you know, we do have a part to play absolutely as parents in raising children of faith. Absolutely, don't mishear that. Well, we just let them, you know, make their own. Well, they do make their own choice, don't they? But we help them. But it comes to that point of, do you want to believe too? Of course, belonging to fellowship and family and learning from others and being together, contending for each other is vital and it's deeply enriching. And without each other, we would be bereft and so, so much poorer. But I'm underlining this, but each of us have the responsibility for ourselves. Whether we believe or whether we will actually walk the walk with Jesus and grow in him. The buck stops with you. Remember the Lord's Prayer? Forgive me or us of our sins as we forgive those who sin against me or us. 
If you hold a grudge or if bitterness or unforgiveness, it's not, it won't do anything if I say, well, I'll forgive them on your behalf. It's not changed your attitude, has it? It has to be your choice to forgive. I can't make it happen. Paul can't make it happen, though as much as we might want. Unless you make that choice, unless you choose to believe yourself and choose to respond in obedience to be baptized and walk as a disciple, learning to obey everything that Jesus has commanded you, we cannot make you. And you may point the finger and say, well, they didn't do this or they didn't do that. Well, maybe not, but that still doesn't get us out of the place. It's your responsibility. That old little phrase, you can take a horse to water, but you can't make them your growth. We have agency and responsibility. But we're not on our own in it. Verse 13, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Hallelujah. This is why it's not a just try harder. Come on, church, pull your socks up. God, who is at work in you, it is his will to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. We have the great resource of almighty God through his spirit within us in this endeavor. I know you're all singing hallelujah, but you're all on mute. I can't hear you. But I know in the church, it's, they're all on mute as well, I think. But uh, this divine activity raises a hallelujah. We are not disempowered. God is at work in you. He never lets his people go. The Holy Spirit is at work. That the work of Jesus on the cross, it is finished. Peace and forgiveness and reconciliation and a right relationship with God and one another and the indwelling of his Holy Spirit to name but a few. He never sleeps. He is with you and he is for you and he is the active indweller. Hooray! In this endeavor, in our responsibility, he is the agent with us and he is more than able. Isn't that good? He is more than able to unseat that habit or that mindset. He is more than able to right a wrong or bring reconciliation between people who've fallen out completely. Hallelujah. In the, in the climate around the world where we think, where is the hope? People are just dreadful. Jesus is always the hope. For it's God who works in you. Do you know what that Greek word is? I won't, well, I can pronounce it. It's, but its root is the, is the word enagon. What does enagon sound like? Focus on the first, energy. That it is God who works, who is the energy in you to will, or the power in you, or in old-fashioned, technical, theological speak. Are you ready for this? He is the oomph within you. He is the oomph. We all need a bit of oomph right now. And from this comes our response. Have the same mindset. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Have you ever been in a church where this is true? People a bit 
fidgety at that point. Oh, it's a bit awkward. As I was reading this, I was thinking about it. And Paul is so loves the church in Philippi. We've said that a number of times. But he goes for this. And for us, it may be saying, well, this is just part of the landscape. This is just the fixtures and fittings of any gathering of people. Whether it's whatever it is, they grumble, don't they? Oh, the weather's too hot today. Oh, it's raining too much this week. Oh, it's not yet summer, but when summer comes, oh, it's too hot. The ground's too dry. When's it, you know, it kind of, you know what I get? We, it's, it's, it, that's just people, isn't it? But Paul goes for this. He says, do everything without grumbling or complaining or arguing. It's surprising. Is Paul making a mountain out of a molehill? No. Of course, he's not dealing with a major theological debate about, you know, circumcision and festival, you know, big things like that. But he does say this, sisters and brothers, is a big thing. Do you remember in the wilderness what happened that caused them to be in the wilderness for 40 years? What was it? They grumbled against God and against Moses. When Nehemiah was gathered back into Jerusalem and they were rebuilding the world, the work stopped because they were grumbling. If you've ever been in, well, we have mosquitoes here. If you have a mosquito in your room at night, it's a tiny thing, isn't it? But does it become a big thing? Or a bit of grit in your shoe on a walk. Oh, I'll just ignore it. Bear in mind, probably in about 100 meters, you've stopped your boots off. A small thing can make a big difference. Our trains knew that. There's a hairline fracture, but the whole lot were taken off the rails. The Russian novelist Dostoevsky once said, the best definition of a man is the ungrateful bipod. Marlena Dietrich said, grumbling is the death of love. I don't think grumbling causes God's love to die, but causes our love to die. You see, grumbling costs us, it robs us. To the church, in Jude 16, it says, the Lord will judge grumblers. Paul writes in Corinthians, we must not grumble, as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer in the wilderness. And in James, do not grumble so that you may not be judged. That wonderfully annoying character in A.A. Milne's creation of Eeyore. Eeyore, what great name to give him. A bluish, slump-shouldered, grumpy, down-in-the-dumps donkey Constantly fearing his tail would drop off or be lost or his house blown down. For Eeyore, every cloud had a black lining. Some of the things he said, life is a box of thistles. I've been given the really thorny ones. Good morning, Pooh Bear, if it's good morning at all, which I doubt. Nobody minds, nobody cares. Pathetic, that's what it's about, pathetic. And so on. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. 
Now, don't mishear me. This isn't a saying you can't ask a question. Philip and I aren't going to say, you're grumbling. <laughs> or to bring constructive criticism. Oh, if, you know, Philippians, did you not hear what we said? Do you do everything without arguing, complaining? That's not what it's about. But we do need to check our hearts. Because I know in myself, when I'm ticked off about something, or if I'm actually letting self-centered heart begin to take control over a soft, Jesus-centered heart, then the machinery of my thinking and my behavior which stems from that will very likely tip into criticism because I want self-interest, not Jesus' interest. That's where the problem comes. The word that Paul uses here for grumbling and, uh, and so forth is a word that carries the sense of selfish complaining, of unbalanced criticism of small matters, of being impatient of when we don't understand something fully, of a grudging unwillingness to be helpful that all gets outwardly expressed and focused on others. He's not saying you can't ask questions, but he is saying, Where's it coming from? In the deep place of your spirit, are you growing with Jesus and loving him and seeking him and his purposes or is it tipped into something else? That's why that hymn is there. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Someone said it like this and I close with these words. The world is a better place because Michelangelo didn't say, I don't do ceilings. <laughs> it's sometimes helpful that we are reminded and our eyes and our gaze are lifted to Jesus because when we understand this song of worship and this confession of faith, to serve is to follow. To worship is to follow. And when you stop and think about it, and this spirit of servanthood, the world is a better place because a German monk called Martin Luther said, didn't say, I don't do doors. And the world is a better place because an Oxford professor named John Wesley says, I don't do fields. And you go from the beginning of the Bible to the end, and you'll see over and over again the story of women and men who had servant hearts and minds and spirits. And the world is a better place. Because Moses didn't say, I don't do rivers and seas. And Moses didn't say, I don't do arcs. And Jeremiah didn't say, I don't do weeping. And Amos didn't say, I don't do speeches. And Rahab didn't say, I don't do carpets. And Ruth didn't say, I don't do mothers-in-law. And David didn't say, I don't do giants. And Mary didn't say, I don't do virgin births, thanks very much. And Mary Magdalene didn't say, I don't do feet. And John didn't say, I don't do deserts. And Peter didn't say, I don't do Gentiles. And Peter didn't say, I don't do letters. And Jesus said, didn't say, I don't do crosses. Therefore, dearly loved. Let's pray.